Welcome back to the Reluctantly Enthusiastic Homesteader, the story of a family on a homestead and market garden. Here we will be sharing tips on seasonal projects, our successes, and how even mistakes can be useful, as well as glimpses of a family working together. I am your host, Jesse Clark, and today we're going to be talking about felling trees and the story of the tree that wouldn't fall. Now that we have the introductory episode out of the way, a note about format. My apologies for the week's late release. We are aiming for a Monday or Tuesday weekly release, but we don't actually have internet at the homestead, so sometimes making that schedule is impractical. Moving forward, God willing, as we enter into autumn, things slowing down, we'll be taking a look at lessons learned over our last 10 years here, and especially in our year zero of the Market Garden. But more often than not, especially as we get into spring next year, or moving towards it, we want topics to be timely, seasonal. In the winter, we'll talk about making our plans for next season. In the spring, we'll be talking about the scourge of grass and weeds, summer managing work with heat, etc. So today, we have a time-relevant chat, bringing trees down. Inspired by my recent battle with a rubber tree. It's not really a rubber tree, you understand. Its more official name is hackberry. I call it rubber because of the way that when you try to split it with an iron wedge, it just sort of wraps around and swallows the wedge rather than being agreeable and just falling into stackable 20-inch pieces. At Hebron on Brush Creek, we cover, uh, we heat with a wood stove. The house is actually not designed for this. It has a, a long linear design rather than a, know, a square or circular design around a central heating stove. One day we want to demolish the house and build an earth berm or earth bag house that will not only need less heating, but be built with a masonry heater at the center. A really cozy kind of place where the family would all gather when they're indoors in the winter. Which is kind of what we have right now, except instead of having it heat the whole house, it just heats one area of the house while the rest of the house turns really, really cold. Which is great for putting kids to bed, because once you're in the other rooms, they just want to get under the covers and before you know it, they are asleep. However, I was not dropping this particular tree for firewood. Make no mistake, it will eventually be firewood. Pretty much all the wood I cut down will be firewood, minus uh, cedar, which is actually not a true cedar. It is a juniper tree out here, but everyone calls it cedar. It's a fragrant redwood. But I am not dropping these for the purpose at this time of firewood. If I were, then it would not be cured until winter of 2021, 2022. The motivation for felling trees right now is for ground clearing rather than fuel. Whichever motivation happens to be yours, I would suggest fall and winter are a great seasonal time to do your felling. Firstly, because the garden is obviously not needing as much attention. And secondly, the loss of leaves from the deciduous trees makes it easier to see what's going on in the treetops, and who else from the fam may be wandering toward you 
and also be seen or heard for safety. You don't want to surprise somebody who's operating a chainsaw or an axe or dropping trees. And you don't want to be surprised by someone sneaking up, some eight-year-old coming up, Hey, Pop, what you doing? No. You want to be able to see what's going on around you as much as you can when you're not being distracted by the roaring engine in your arms. So I'm cutting for clearing. Our goal for the winter season is to clear an area for 12 new, excuse me, 13 new, no, no, we have one. So 12 new 100 foot by 30 inch beds. This, our year zero, our commercial garden area only consisted of five beds, each about 20 feet long and 30 inches wide, hence the equivalent of one 100 foot bed. So about 250 square feet of bed altogether. Alyssa's home garden, featured in most of our social shared farming cover picks, is probably four or five times that, but it is laid out a little more sprawly for an aesthetic extension of the home. It's just a cozy little place that extends the home environment. Whereas the market garden is laid out, or will be, with business utilitarian sensibilities. Straight lines, all the same length, so that you can easily rotate crops from bed to bed at the same space. So the next season's expansion will bring us up to about 3,250 square feet, which is still small, judging by Jean Martin Fortier's model. So with this mission in mind, I grabbed my trusty axe. Most days, I would have grabbed my still. It's an MS-271 Farm Boss 20-inch chainsaw. It's not the only good brand, of course. Husqvarna, I hear, is good. I chose a still because Alyssa's dad, George, used one quite reliably. And I've had this one for seven or so years of frequent use with only operator maintenance, so I can can, uh, attest that they are a good machine. I'm quite happy with mine, and it uh, shows no signs of giving out anytime soon, God willing. But whichever brand you use, make sure it's a work machine. Don't buy one of those cheap suburban types. I'm not going to name any specific names, but I distrust any box that I find in a large chain store that is still in the box. You want to go into one of those places where they specialize in chainsaws and outdoor gas-powered equipment. I'm sure that the ga- the electric battery-operated ones are getting better, and there's probably a place for those in cases where you need to climb a tree and operate a chainsaw with one arm or something like that. But my experience has been that those more domestic versions, those more you know, occasional-use machines are exactly that. They're for occasional use. If you're going to be cutting down trees repeatedly, especially for like your own firewood or just taking trees down, perhaps as a side job, you really need a tough, reliable machine. And one that you can wield comfortably without undue fatigue. As a guy, I was simultaneously thrilled and intimidated when I went to get my 271. 
as was easily the biggest I had ever run. I hadn't used a chainsaw really since I was probably 16 or 17, but after bringing the Marine Corps and the police academy and just being, you know, coming into my 30s, I was pretty confident that I could handle a decent-sized machine. So I actually ended up getting one that was a step larger than the one that uh, Mr. George had uh, bequeathed to us. Of course, I would like to say that that was a sensible, rational, practical decision, but I can't deny that it could have been the cathartic thrill of tearing through wood with a live, roaring engine and an aggressive chain, which I had only come to learn of when I actually picked up the machine. Uh, it's better for fast dropping, really ripping through wood, as opposed to the standard chain, which is uh, less aggressive and will cut finer and longer. So if you were actually cutting a down tree into firewood-sized logs or something like that, you might want a standard instead of an aggressive. I would actually probably rationalize now that my next chainsaw would actually be a step even higher something that would run a 24-inch blade instead of a 20. Now, that would not be a replacement for my 271. It would rather be giving me just another tool. I think it would also be good to have a smaller chainsaw, especially one that would run on a pole, so that I would have the ability to cut higher up branches without an unwieldy heavy machine, and also have the ability to drop a large tree quickly with the 24 inch and then I would use the 271 somewhere in between for most jobs. Today I was out of gas and while we're on the subject of that premium is the way to go for any small engine and one thing I've noticed in particular about stills is that they are testy when they get the wrong mix of oil to gas and probably also I'd say that about when they get uh, regular gas instead of premium. And I would even go further to say, and I've heard this from other people, is that stills are particular about getting actual still oil rather than just some generic off the block. My chainsaw always knows if someone has put an unapproved oil or gas oil ratio in it. Moving on, I grab my axe. Now the way to begin any planned tree dropping activity is by being in good condition getting a good night's sleep, and being well hydrated, and taking water with you. It always pays to stay in shape. Now on a homestead, working outdoors, I usually don't think about it too much because I'm exerting myself quite a bit. I am actually leaning towards the idea now that you should still do a little bit of exercise just because you're getting strong doing homestead work, but only at specific things. Next inspect your chosen weapon, as my old sensei would have called it. Are all its safety features intact? Is it functionable? I.e. the chain isn't about to break? Is it topped off with fluids? Is its air filter clean? Are the teeth sharpened? Spark arrests are clean? Reading between the lines, you should know your machine and how to maintain it. You should at least have a checklist of things that you can go down to check to get it started again. There was a phase at which I was having problems with my favorite 271, and I was close to taking it to the shop, but I was like, that's going to be expensive. 
So I flipped open the manual, and lo and behold, a little paragraph that I had somehow overlooked, that I had somehow overlooked, talked about that spark arrestor, which I had never heard of before. And it was intimidating because I just kind of glanced at it and like, oh, this is going to take things off. There's going to be oil everywhere. I'm going to need rags, a whole setup. And no, it's not. You, If it's in your operator's manual, it's probably pretty easy to access. And I did. You take a screw off, you pull it out, you scrape it with a brass scrub brush, probably throw some carburetor cleaner on it. And I've learned to do that every single time just to prevent buildup. And it starts like a charm. Um, just get used to that. It's just a regular part of maintenance, and it will save you money in the long haul. This also applies, though, if you're going like me with the axe. How's the handle? Are the blades sharpened? In my case, the head tends to slip as I use it. I've tried adding nails to tighten it, but every couple minutes or so, I know I'll have to tap the head back down. So I consider most of these ideas as I'm getting ready. I'm not as safety conscious a guy as I could be, but I am getting better. Still, most of this stuff is just quick checks. I usually hit all of these boxes, plus checking chain tension as a matter of course in about 10 minutes before I step outside. And I don't forget hearing and eye protection, work boots, and gloves. A hard hat is also a great idea, but I don't have one yet. And as a, I'll be repeating this theme, but sometimes the ideal is not practical. Looking ahead night and even days before planned felling activities, I will be sure to get extra rest that night. And I will also pay attention to the weather. God willing, it should be okay. Cloudy and calm is good. Sunny is also good. A light rain or snow is doable. It's not ideal. I mean, you should have gotten that done before it started snowing and raining. But if it's just a little bit, it, I'll still do it. But if there is wind, I will absolutely not take down a tree. Then in the morning, I'll get up and do my morning regular chores. The inciting story for this lesson was, I believe, on a Wednesday. So that's a compost workday. Emptying buckets, harvesting weeds for cover material and growth control. Then I was, or should have been, on the major work of chainsawing. This particular day, I had a ma another major project, putting in an AC and a window for it to go in. Ha ha. Which brings to another tip, and also an observation about myself, I am not good at managing time. I overpromise to myself and everyone I meet. I am getting better to where I'll ask Alyssa, how long will this really take? And she'll tell me, you should probably plan for this to take all day. So with her help, I'm recovering. This day, however, I lied to myself about how long the AC was going to take. Like, you're going to cut four, four lines in the wall. You've got studs already for markers. Bada bing, bada boom. You slide it out. You put flashing around it. Day's done. Of course, it, it's never that easy. If you actually stop to plan out what you're going to do in detail, you will realize that each step takes time and you have to plan for that. And then you have to add a buffer on it for mistakes. Like, for example, you put up the AC and it falls out the backside. Ah, <laughs> 
That's why the two cuts were supposed to be different. I should probably have just decided at the end of that major project to do small projects after that. But I just hate to see a day go by without progress on a major ongoing project like ground clearing. I've got so much to clear before I can before spring starts and I haven't even started talking about digging the actual beds. So I decided to take down one tree. Just one. I'm just going to take down one. If this were a thriller or a horror flick, the audience would know bad things will soon follow. And right they would be. By the time I actually went up to assault the tree, I had planned for half an hour just to bring the tree down and let it lie until I could deal with it. Token progress on clearing. That's all I was asking. Is that, is that too much to ask? The lesson is, plan that taking down a tree or trees is a substantial project in and of itself. That's why you need rest and why you need your machine in good condition. Because you don't want to have a tree suspended in a dangerous position and not have the muscle or machine to finish the job. Also, a good reason to have that second chainsaw or or, tr or axe in case one of them breaks down. For my next tips on safety, let me again remind of themes from the introductory episode. I'm not a professional homesteader. I don't have an agricultural degree. I'm not licensed in almost any skill that I regularly use. I'm not showing you the best way or the only way to do anything. Kind of the theme of this podcast is that with hard work, creativity, careful thinking, yes, the advice of others, and Hashem's help, a layman can become a professional, a ronin homesteader, an apprentice without a master. I'm not recommending that. I heartily endorse being born into a like-minded community, having a wealth of neighbors and elders to draw on, and taking time to dedicatedly learn from each of them these skills. But as the song says, I didn't choose the sky under which I would be born. Some of us are converted into this lifestyle, and it is possible to go from nearly zero skill to mostly self-taught proficiency. So back to safety. Ideally, what a feller felling trees should strive for is to never go into the woods alone. But as I have learned from the Marine Corps and the police academy and really life in general is that ideal is not always practical. And sometimes you have to drop a tree with only you and God in the woods. You might have one plan for rain, and so you didn't invite anyone, and then it turns into sun. Well, you got to go out and cut the tree. So you can't always plan that working party. This is why it's, it's great to have community with your neighbor just across the fence, and you can wave him over. Hey, what are you doing, man? You want to come over and help me for 30 minutes? 30 minutes? Yeah, I lied to him, too. But you might not be able to. You could all be legitimately busy. Or maybe there's a tree about to fall on your house, and you have to take it down now. Which, of course, is usually an illusion. Usually you can wait. But there are legitimate emergencies. That's why we have the word emergency from the word emerge. It emerges suddenly. There it is. You have to deal with it. So, second to going woodsing in a team, you should let someone know that you'll be working where and for how long. Maybe just as simple as calling someone up and say, hey, I'm going up into the woods. I'll give you a call back when I am done. And whether that's what you end up doing or it's just you, you need to develop two mental habits. 
First is to not do anything without observing, planning, and then carefully executing. That may sound like three things by itself, but trust me, it is one thing. What is now in hip circles called being mindful. Be in the present. A long time have I watched this one. Always he looked away to the horizon, to new adventures, never his mind on where he was, hmm? what he was doing. I apologize to Yoda. The second is self-confidence. You have to have the inner fortitude to believe that you can adapt and will adapt and overcome difficulties as they arise, even if you've never imagined them. Of course, taking into account your actual limitations. I do not imagine that I can adapt to a tree falling on me by force of confidence. Oh, and three. Continuous prayer. For me, I ended up letting Alyssa know my general plan at breakfast, and also our oldest, Aiden, is getting to the place where he can be very helpful, so I tell him what I'm imminently about to do. Remind him that if anything happens, run to mom or our neighbor, if she, if mom's away at town, for example, but otherwise, stand here or don't stand there. Having done this, I head up the hill. Not far, I mean right above the house, because my goal is to clear garden space all around the house so that it can be most efficiently maintained and frequently observed. One of the things I really like about the Market Garden by Jean-Martin Fortier is the emphasis on efficiency and practicality, planning out minimal motion, economy of motion to get things done. So, going up the hill, I analyze the lay of the area. You need to have a strategy. I know, in the aggregate, my goal is to take out most of the trees to the south of the garden, for sunlight's sake. I'll probably leave the tallest and most beautiful trees, but spread thin. I find, as a general observation, that things that work well are also beautiful things. Beautiful things have a purpose. And so I'm hesitant to entirely remove every tree from the garden area, even though it might seem practical to not have any trees in the garden. In the specific pursuit of that goal, I have removed a number of smaller trees already, and so the reason I assumed I could drop this one in a half hour is because theoretically it was just a matter of cutting and maybe a little bit of winching. Doing this, I realized knowing your trees can be important in predicting behavior. I only recently settled on the identity of the species, but I knew this tree when I saw it. It acts like rubber, as I said. Thus, I began my half hour project and then complications arose. There were two trees side by side. I wanted to take down the north one because it was larger and I wanted the smaller one to fall into the space where the north one had been. Plus, obviously, the north one was therefore blocking the preferred route of the smaller south one. But then, after I had begun thoroughly enjoying the thwack of axe head burying into tree flesh and sending chunks masculinely flying out, I then decided that I would take down the smaller south one first. My memory may be a little bit sketchy, but I can only count that I hoped that the larger one would shield the nearby power line when the little one came down. And this illustrates why felling trees should be the project that gets the first morning share of clear thinking. That I was dealing with a hackberry, 
relative of the elm. I should have considered in all of this, before you begin, and I did, though probably with a degree of wishful thinking, you should examine the tree from at least two directions at right angles, to determine which way the tree leans, as this will tell you which way it will naturally fall. So I switch to the south tree, and I make short work of it, or so I think. When I begin to ask, why isn't it falling? If you haven't done this much, the general idea is to cut a wedge on the side of the direction you want it to fall, which would have been a good tip for me to consider when I estimated half an hour. As I have learned recently, it's actually a wood preferred for some athletic equipment. Mitigating the negative was my assessment that it wanted to fall against the north tree, which should shield said line. The tree wanted to fall away from the power line that runs to the house. Good. But toward a secondary line to a building that I wanted to demolish anyways. Bad. On account of the damage that could happen when that line jerked on the other. So when I cut my wedge, I angled it toward my preferred direction. Probably 30 to 45 clockwise from where I believed it wanted to fall. In my mind, and perhaps you're imagining... Well, that's not that far off. But you really have to account for how strongly the tree wants to fall in its preferred direction. Really, I should... I don't know. If I was to put a number on it, I would say 10 or 15 degrees is about the most you can change a tree's. After you cut the wedge in the direction that you want it to fall and the direction that you should realistically think it will be willing to fall, you then cut a more shallow cut on the opposite side an inch or two above the other, leaving an inch or two in depth in between the two cuts. This is called the hinge. Ideally, this causes the tree to fall where desired, desired direction of fall, without snapping off the trunk and doing wild things. And that's a good place to stress that trees can do a lot of crazy things that end up killing or maiming people. I'm told there's a variety of more than rated R YouTube films about what can happen to people who underestimate trees. Regarding the earlier statement, again, careful thought and observation is so important because trees can do wild things and you have to be cognizant of that, especially when they are twisted or bent or have other trees hanging on them or are tangled in vines. For the inexperienced, I would not cut down a tree alone and when I did begin to cut trees with that buddy or without a buddy, I would start with the simplest cut, i.e. dropping a lone tree into an open space before doing anything complicated. I hate even saying that under normal circumstances that you can forgo the buddy, but I'm being honest here and say that oftentimes I don't have a buddy available and planning for one is often impractical. And that's a good place also to say, as, you, as I went up, and as you should, look at the treetops for where your tree may interact with another, and look for dead or suspended limbs anywhere above your worksite. I don't have to watch those because I have a very good imagination about how it is ideal to have a battle buddy when going into the woods, but not always practical, until you are fairly experienced with felling and have a good imagination like me, I would stick hard to that battle buddy model. And with 10 or so years of steady experience, I always go for the simplest cut, dropping the easiest tree and then dropping other trees into the open space left by the first. 
and as I have said, I had already cleared a lot from the area I was working in, and I was, in fact, dropping this tree into an open space, or at least mostly open. I had also taken the time after each tree went down to cut it into sections, to put it in one pile, and to put the branches in piles so that, in general, there was clarity. And this is important because before you start your cutting, and especially as you, you want to keep reviewing this as you go on, is what is my escape route? You have to have a plan for when the tree comes down, whether it's expectedly or unexpectedly. You can't say, I'll make that plan when the tree's about ready. You need to have that planned out first thing. Usually it's a path 90 degrees from the estimated path of fall without trip hazards. Check, check, check. But the tree didn't fall when I had the hinge. That was a warning. That was a clear sign that the tree had not acquiesced to fall where I wanted it. Despite my perceived level of experience, I did have the foresight to put chains and come-alongs on it. Whenever possible, you should have something attached to that tree to assist it in falling in the direction that you want it. I mean, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, if you're dropping a tree in the middle of a field, then you can probably do without. And there's probably nowhere to anchor onto something anyways, except for maybe if you drove a truck out there or a tractor or whatnot. But generally speaking, I would always have chains and a come-along on it. And I mean heavy chains that can take a literal ton of weight attached to a come-along that can pull as much or more. You want overkill when it comes to this, because you might end up pulling more than just the weight of a free-leaning tree. You might have limbs to pull free. And of course, the other end of the chain, come-along setup, needs to be something stronger than the tree that you're bringing down. I would suggest a live, thicker trunk. This is also why protective equipment is strongly recommended. Just imagine one of these chains snapping back at your head for motivation to be safe. But alas, things continued in the direction that I had not planned. Wishfully thinking that it just needed another strike of the axe? Crack! What happened was, my final axe stroke took out the hinge enough for the trunk to break free. But the top then pivoted unexpectedly to the south, toward the electric pole where the two lines met. Thank God it did not drop either of the lines. By the way, twilight was coming. Here was a heavy tree on a live line... I didn't have a bunch of spare equipment that wasn't already engaged, and it was going to be dark soon. But it was Elul, the Hebrew month leading up to Rosh Hashanah, a holy season centered around repentance, turning over a new leaf. Ha ha. Not only is everyone judged at this time of year, with God deciding your fate for the year to come, but how you end this one and begin the next is a big indicator of how the next will go. In that moment, I had some mindfulness. I reminded myself that everything comes from Hashem and is for the best. I'm not saying it was that easy, but I did have this clarity. I thanked God for the outcome and especially saving a costly electric bill. Or so I hoped since the power was still on in the house. I evaluated my options. This is why you have to develop a cool head for this sort of thing. Assume that whatever is in front of you is not too big a deal or God would not have sent it. 
I decided, working down my options, that working around a live feed was not an acceptable risk. And fortunately, I was aware of how to shut off power to the entire property at the meter. I also ran a circuit tester over the nearest outlet to determine that it was indeed shut off. I highly recommend that you have a circuit tester and know how to shut off all power to your house. I collected my second and third come-alongs and my spare cable. I didn't employ either of these come-alongs before now because they aren't in the best of shape. And cables I generally don't trust over chains. They're nice for dragging things, especially to pull something around a corner perhaps, but I just don't trust them as much as I do chains. I wanted to get the tree off the line. I wanted to get it off of the power line, but pulling more on the base of the trunk would only drag its grabby limbs over the line and in my view risk real damage. So I used the cable to lash the severed trunk to the stump so that it would be forced to pivot up and off. This worked, but it was tedious and stressful. And so I would lever and crank until my arms were aching usually using one hand to shield my face, as if my hand would stop a snapping chain. And mind you that a come-along can only pull about four or five feet at a time. And you can realize that this would be a long process. And once you have used up the slack, then you have to find a way to hold the tree, reset that come-along, and crank again. I did this using the two come-alongs, the good one and the not-so-good one, in a parallel manner. I'm not sure it helped, because there was, after all, only one chain really holding all the weight, but it was of a recommended logging gauge. When a come-along that is rated for two and a half tons begins to be hard to crank, you start asking yourself existential questions like, how much weight can this chain really take? How heavy is this tree, really? What if a wind picks up? Fast forward, I was out there for hours. I did stop to eat and put the kids to bed, I really wanted that to be the end of the night, but I decided it was too dangerous to leave that tree suspended by a lone chain. I wasn't entirely sure it couldn't hit the house, which is, happens to be where the kids' bedroom is, and, and mine too. I freely acknowledge that this is not the zenith of safety. It probably would have been wise to call someone for backup, and I would recommend you do that. And probably there was some pride that made it difficult to call someone to clean up my mistake. Having said that, I did think about it carefully, and I evaluated that I could bring it the rest of the way down, and history has borne out that that was true. Nevertheless, I was increasingly fatigued in round two, which is why being in good condition and well-rested is the important first step. So I cranked and adjusted some more, still would not fall. Its limbs were just too entangled in the larger northern tree. I tried so I strapped on a headlamp and went back out against all my ideal preference. I was using smaller downed trees as levers. Move the chain up higher for better leverage. At some point, the tree began to take on a spiritual significance. It came to embody every frustration, anger that came too easily to the surface, everything. I'm not saying the tree was somehow possessed with evil. But when you are looking for Hashem to teach you things, even when things seem to go wrong, which they of course never do, then you should be sensitive to what God brings to your consciousness. It's not that the situation has gone wrong or that 
your life is somehow ruined or that you've been cheated out of anything, but it does give you a glimpse at where you should be directing your attention, where you should be directing your prayers. And I was already praying. Having been scared more than once by a tree, I went into this praying for safety and also asking forgiveness. If you want to ask for protection, you should first acknowledge that you have messed up anywhere that comes to mind. And I now prayed about these frustrations that arose. I also remembered again to acknowledge that the tree scenario was for my good. And to keep reminding myself in prayer that even if the tree continues to misbehave, that too is ultimately somehow good. Continuing on, the tree finally came clear of its neighbor. It still wouldn't fall, but its center of gravity had finally shifted to the north, though that also meant shifting towards me. Carefully, I relocated my setup to another further and more desirable stump. I won't give you the play-by-play, but finally it got to the place where the angle was in my originally desired direction. But I knew winching farther would be pulling it down right on top of me. I went back to trying my tree lever again. Down it came. But just to illustrate how crazy a tree can be, it swung from northeast to straight east and made a direct attack on the house. Baruch Hashem, bless God. It missed the reserve water tank, the privy, and fell ten feet or so short of the house. I'm exhausted just retelling this. Went inside and celebrated with a glass of wine as I told Alyssa how I felt like prayer had brought it down and pondered what this obstinate tree finally and unexpectedly shifting towards the house could mean. Don't know, but I definitely believe prayer is what kept me calm enough to see it to completion. And that's my story about chainsawing. Quick summary of tips. First, be in good shape. Be rested. Safety check your familiar tool. Wear safety equipment. Plan to give your majority and best time of the day. Take a buddy. Have a goal to work toward. Have a strategy for each tree toward that goal. Check what is above you. Use chains and come-alongs or some way to pull the tree in the desired trajectory. Pray your way through. Remain calm and think clearly. Lastly, know your limits, but have confidence. If you want to get in touch with us further and tell me everything I did wrong, check us out on MeWe or Facebook under our farm name, Hebron at Brush Creek. Or send us an email, hebron at brushcreek at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.